money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. Welcome everybody to the Texas RIAs. Uh, Texas RIAs is the largest network of real estate investor associations uh, in the great state of Texas. Uh, it's been around for 20 years, uh, has tens of thousands of members all across the great state of Texas, Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. It's a beautiful and huge community of real estate investors sharing resources and tribal knowledge and other things that are helpful for real estate investors to grow their business and to grow their wealth both individually and collectively. Um, we have meetings every month. We meet every day, every minute online. So we'll get you all to join the uh, moderated Facebook group and that's where you can interact with each other and me and everybody else here uh, on an ongoing basis. And, and we also publish market updates uh, frequently, uh, just about every week we post those onto our social media. And I'm gonna do a little market update with you guys right now. So like I mentioned before, I'm the substitute teacher tonight. So I'm gonna present uh, my wife's uh, materials, but uh, I think I've got a pretty good handle on it. So let me take a shot at it. So what's going on in the real estate market? Where are we and where are we going next? Well, I think the best thing that I could use to describe the market is it's going like this. It's not really going anywhere at all. It's pretty much flat. Now, Austin has some unique issues. We're here in Austin, so Austin's a little different than the rest of the state, as you'll see in a minute. But obviously, the big story with real estate is interest rates. Interest rates have gone up. Right? They used to be freakishly low, and now they've become normal again, right? 7% mortgage is considered a normal uh, mortgage. Uh, so yeah, interest rates have gone up. And when interest rates go up, what happens to home prices? What happens to home prices? When interest rates go up, what happens to home prices? <laughs> I'm seeing some different answers around the room. Here's what happens to home prices. They go like this. They go up and down at the same time. Yeah, interest rates have both upward and downward impact on home prices. Certainly, what everybody knows is homes are less affordable. That's, that's obvious, so fewer people can afford homes. But the thing you have to understand about real estate, if you want to know where prices are going with real estate, real estate doesn't care much about the economy. It really doesn't care much about interest rates. What it really cares about is supply and demand. Real estate, more than anything else, is driven by supply and demand. Okay, so for example, the economy. People think the economy drives real estate. It's the other way around. I'll give you an example. The Great Depression, during the Great Depression, real estate prices went down a whopping 6%. Basically nothing. During the Great Pandemic, we just lived through the Great Pandemic, another one in a 100-year event, right? The real estate prices went up uh, about 30%. It, it wasn't the economy that drove the real estate. It was supply and demand that drove the real estate. 2008, we had a big, big crash, big crash in 2008. Why do we have a big crash in 2008? Because up until 2008, anybody could get a loan. If you wanted to get a loan, you walked into a bank, you said, I would like a loan. A banker would walk up, they'd hold a mirror under your nose. If they saw fog, you got a loan. That's what they used for a loan application uh, back in 2007 and six. And, and of course, that was really stupid, right? Subprime lending, that was like a phenomenally dumb idea. So, but anyway, everybody got loans. So, so they're giving out money like drunken sailors, right? 
and we're building lots of houses, and, and how do we sell all those houses? Well, anybody could get a loan, so we're selling all those houses, and then 2008, all the banks went bankrupt. Right? Lending stopped. It didn't slow down, it just hit the wall. It just stopped. Right? And, and the government, you know, you may or may not remember, they remember all that mark-to-market stuff. They, the government actually changed the definition of bankruptcy in 2008. They didn't call it bankruptcy, but it was bankruptcy by any reasonable, logical definition of bankruptcy. All the banks went bankrupt. And they got bailed out, and eventually they got back in lending. But what happened with supply and demand in 2008, we built all these houses, way more houses than anybody needed, and then all of a sudden, lending stopped. So then the buyers just disappeared. So you had a huge supply and no more demand. And what happens when you get a huge supply and no more demand? Crash, right? The market crashed. Now, what's happened in this market? In this market, we've got inflation, right? We got inflation, that's the story, inflation. Now, most people, when they talk about inflation, they talk about it like it's a bad thing, inflation bad. Now, I disagree. I love inflation. I just have another name for it. I call it appreciation, okay? Because that's what real estate investors call inflation. We call it appreciation. We love inflation, right? And if you own a lot of real estate, you're very excited about all the inflation, i.e. appreciation. Uh, so yeah, that pushes prices up. But then, of course, when real estate prices or uh, interest rates go up, it makes affordability less. So it reduces the demand. There's fewer people that can buy a house, right? So the demand has gone down, uh, but the supply is still not keeping up with the demand because people keep having babies and especially keep moving to Texas. On a national basis, we're actually in a housing shortage. We actually have six million fewer houses than we have people that need a place to live. So we have a problem with supply where there's not enough supply. So even though the demand has gone down, there's still not enough supply. And it's not until you get the demand way below the supply that it actually pulls the prices down. And that's why I say it's kind of doing like this. Now, the other thing about interest rates is it's done some really interesting things with the market, okay? Existing homeowners are not selling, which is also affecting demand. Why? Because everybody got a mortgage over the last four or five years, got one of those three or four or five percent mortgages, and they're like, man, I ain't selling my house, and, and then I'd have to buy a new house and get a you know seven and a half percent mortgage. So, so nobody wants to sell. So if you look at the mix of houses that are being sold right now, they're all new houses. New houses have doubled in sales, existing houses have halved. So it's really gone crazy, right? But, the, but the, the bottom line is there's still not enough houses for sale. So the market has shrunk. There's a lot less houses being sold, uh, which means there's less supply. Uh, the demand has gone down because they're less affordable. And when you kind of put all that in the blender and spit out the other end, prices are pretty much flat. Uh, or down just a little, little bit. So let's take a look at the different markets, and we'll even dive in to all of the markets one at a time. Uh, in Texas, uh, the number of units uh, being sold down 8%, a little bit, not a whole lot. Uh, the prices actually in July went up a little bit, uh, but the average year-to-day price is down 1%. Uh, so yeah, what does that tell you? It tells you not much has actually happened. San Antonio, uh, flat. Uh, down 1% for average price. Austin's a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, prices in Austin are down about 10%. Now, here's the thing about Austin. In most of Texas, prices over the last two years, two, uh, two, two years prior to this year, uh, went up about 30%. In Austin, prices went up about 40%. So in most of Texas, prices went up 30% and then they flattened out. In Austin, they went up 40% and then they can, came down 10%. So in other words, over the last three years, Texas is up 30%, uh, including Austin, 
But if you bought your house in the last year, I'm sorry, uh, the market went down in the last year. So where is it going next? I don't know. I mean, nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. But if you look at the supply and the demand, we're still not building enough houses. And with lending becoming more difficult and expensive, builders are actually slowing down, which is going to cause a long-term supply problem. Okay, but people keep having babies and keep moving to Texas, so demand is not slowing down. And by any historic standards, that means eventually, in like pretty quick now, prices are probably going to start going up again. Unless interest rates go way up, which is possible, which will cut down the demand. So you put all that in a blender, our prediction is that prices aren't going to do much. Uh, for the foreseeable future, right? It may go up a little, may go down a little. There's no huge thing that would cause them to change dramatically. Now, if eventually interest rates come back down, like some people would say, maybe the Fed is going to raise interest rates one more time, and then over the next year or so, they're going to start to come down again. If that happens, what that will probably do is cause a big increase in prices of houses, because then they'll become more affordable, Again, and again, we don't have enough supply, but we still have a growing demand. And historically, when that combination hits the blender, the prices go up. So on Texas, if you look at the Texas statewide numbers, average house in Texas is, what is that, 429,000, up a little bit, interesting. So I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal just yesterday, and it said that on a national basis, for the first time uh, in about a year, prices have actually ticked up. And a lot of the experts are saying, well, I guess the housing correction is over, right? It wasn't much of a correction, but whatever it seemed to happen, some people are saying we bottomed out and it wasn't much of a bottom. Uh, but that may be possible. I'm not sure, right? Uh, average house prices in Texas actually up a little bit. Uh, median price is actually down a little bit. Now, this is the number I look at more than any other number, uh, months of inventory. Months of inventory is a statistic that tells you, like, if we just... If we stop building houses, if we stop putting any more houses on the market, and we just sold what we got until it was out, until there's no more houses left, how many months is, is left? And, and it's about 3.3 months of inventory. Now, that also tells you, on average, how long it takes to sell a house, 3.3 months. Okay, that's the average on a statewide basis. Each city is a little different. We'll go through the cities in a minute. But historically, to put that in perspective, they say if there's less than six months of inventory, you have a seller's market. Uh, if there's more than six months of inventory, you have a buyer's market. And you can see 3.3 months, that is still considered a very strong seller's market. So interestingly enough, uh, with all the things going on, we are still in a crazy strong seller's market. Because you know, the historic average is closer to five to six per, uh, uh, months of inventory. Uh, pending sales, uh, kind of flat. I guess it's uh, down a little bit. Active sales, uh, you know, when inventory goes up a little bit, active sales goes up, so it's gone from 83 to 95. Uh, and this is Texas, uh, Texas-wide. In uh, 2021, uh, prices went up 18%, almost 20%. Uh, 2022, prices went up another uh, 10, 11%. And then this year, they went down 1%. So you net that all out over the last three years, prices have up about 30%. Now, if you look at the different markets, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Average price 514 up about 3%. Now this is new. That's a bigger tick than uptick than than uh, we've seen in some of the other markets. Uh, median price down 1%. Months of inventory actually 2.7. Now I'll tell you something interesting 
about Dallas. We've been tracking and doing market updates across Texas uh, for decades, right? So we do this literally every week for a decade, right? And I don't know why, I don't know exactly why, there's probably reasons that I don't know, but Dallas has always been the bellwether of Texas. If you look at Dallas, it's always the first to change. So when the market is going up, it's the first one to tick up. When the market goes down, it's the first one to tick down. And if you ever kind of want to guesstimate like what the market might be a couple months from now, look at Dallas. So it's always been the bellwether uh, for whatever reason uh, of Texas. And interestingly enough, some of the lowest months of inventory and some of the biggest uptick in uh, recent, uh, uh, recent uh, home values. Uh, pending sales down a little bit, 16%. Uh, active sales up a little bit, only 5%. And, you know, kind of the same thing as we saw in the statewide, up 20%, uh, up 15% 2022, and now it's pretty much uh, flat in 2023. Um, San Antonio, uh, the most affordable marketplace uh, in uh, Texas. Average sales price, uh, 387, uh, flat. Uh, median price down 2%, not much difference. Months of inventory, actually the highest months of inventory, interestingly enough, in Texas is in San Antonio, but it's still a pretty strong market at 3.8 uh, months of inventory. Pending sales are down uh, a little bit, active is up a little bit. Whenever you have an increase in inventory, you have more active uh, sales uh, to go along with it. Um, they didn't get the biggest run-up as some of the other markets, up uh, 16 and 12, down uh, 1. Uh, and then we have Austin. So Austin, the average sales price in Austin, yes, that is correct, $523,000. Holy tamole. Yeah, we did a little research on where the name Austin came from. It turns out Austin is Latin for San Francisco, yes. It's pretty much become the San Francisco, right? All the high-tech jobs and all the high incomes that come with them and the huge influx of uh, people. I saw one uh, study that said Austin could overtake uh, both Dallas and Houston in uh, population over the next uh, 25 years. I don't really believe that. There's only one expert that says that. Everybody else says there's, there's no way that could happen. But just based on the recent growth uh, trajectory, if that continued, which it wouldn't likely, but if it did, uh, yeah, Austin's growing at a phenomenal rate. It's the uh, fastest growing top 25 uh, city uh, in the U.S. Um, months of inventory, 3.7, still pretty strong uh, uh, months of inventory. It's obviously the least affordable uh, place in uh, Texas. Uh, pending sales down uh, a little bit. Uh, you know, active sales obviously up uh, a bit. Uh, and, you know, just not much, right? I mean, the, the, there's just not that many houses uh, that, are, that are being sold uh, and bought, all right? And that's just that contraction in the size of the market due to uh, just nobody wants to sell because everybody's locked into their nice uh, house and, and, and nice interest rate if they got it in the last uh, few years. Uh, just to kind of go through the history, yeah, 2021, nice year in Austin, price up almost 30%. Uh, then in 2022, another 10%, so we got about a 40% uptick, and then about a 10% down. So still about 30% over three years, but the one anomaly is Austin kind of just got on fire. Uh, there were some months in Austin where we literally had less than one month of inventory. In fact, I remember one month, I think we had 0.5 months of inventory, maybe even 0.4 months of inventory, which means like two weeks of inventory. And that meant like you put a house on the market, and it was like you'd get six offers in a day. Uh, just like that. I mean, these things were just so flying off the shelf insane. 
And when you had that kind of a crazy, insane market, people were just paying stupid amounts of money. Uh, so the market was really, uh, I would argue, uh, over the last couple of years, properties were selling for more than they should have been, more than they were really worth, just because people were in a frenzy and people were coming here from California and they were putting an offer on a house they'd get outbid, they put an offer on a house they'd get outbid, and that happened like 10 times in a row and they got furious and they'd be like, just offer them 20% more than they're asking because I don't want to, you know, I'm tired of, you know, getting outbid, right? And so we had some crazy stuff uh, that happened because of the crazy, crazy uh, low inventory. But, you know, uh, for those of you that are saying, oh, prices are down, yeah, prices are down uh, a bit, uh, and it's all perspective, right? If you bought a house in the last year, it sucks, it's down, right? If you bought a house three years ago, it's pretty awesome because it's still up. And, you know, by any uh, historic measure, 3.7 months of inventory is actually a pretty strong seller's market. Uh, Houston, uh, average sales price, 428, also pretty affordable. Median price, what is that, Three. Uh, 40, uh, down a little bit, uh, averages up a little bit. Months of inventory, 3.2, uh, similar to uh, what we saw in, uh, in um, uh, Texas-wide. Uh, pending sales is actually up a little bit, kind of an interesting uptick there. Uh, total active is also up a little bit. So that's what's going on in the marketplace, and we're about to kind of switch gears and switch presentations. But uh, do we have any questions uh, kind of on what's going on in the marketplace? Anybody have a question on that? Um, uh, this is from mostly the, um, uh, the Aggies. Uh, what school is that again? A&M School of uh, uh, Real Estate. I don't know why I didn't know that, but <laughs> I am a Texan. But yeah, the A&M School of Real Estate publishes fabulous data uh, every month. And then there's several other sources that are uh, published by the Board of Realtors and some other places as well. Um, if you follow Texas RIAs on social media, we publish these updates literally every week. Uh, so if you want to stay abreast of kind of where the market is, just follow us on social media and you'll, you'll see these updates. Okay, I am going to switch gears now and switch presentations. And I'm going to get into another presentation. Let me pull it up here. And I call this... Uh, presentation, um, you know, 12 strategies you can use in today's Texas marketplace. So welcome again to our network, the Texas RIAs. Uh, we're also broadcasting right now, so if you're watching on go to, go, go to webinar, you are live. Congratulations. If you are on Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook Live, or our podcast, you may or may not be live, but if you'd like to come to a future live uh, meeting, you're welcome to register at texasrias.com forward slash live. So this presentation is sponsored by the Texas RIAs. What is the Texas RIAs? The largest by far network of real estate investor associations across the great state of Texas uh, with uh, networks in Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio, tens of thousands of members. And so why do you care and why does that even matter? Well, the reason you care and the reason it matters is because real estate is local. Laws are local. Contracts are local. Contractors are local. Buyers and sellers are local. Laws, everything. <laughs> Houses are local. Uh, power teams are local, right? There's, there's a million videos and books out there on how to invest in real estate. And they talk about how to do it anywhere. And well, the problem with how to do it anywhere, how to do it anywhere is how to do it at 30,000 feet. But real estate is not actually bought and sold at 30,000 feet. Real estate is bought and sold at zero feet. So if you want to know what laws apply here and which neighborhoods to invest in here, 
and what's going on in the market here, and how to invest and make money here, where do you get all that? You get that at your local real estate investor association. And my job is to make you all into educated and, and contributing members of this community. So why am I here? Well, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Your time is valuable, and I'm going to repay you for your valuable time by sharing some very valuable information and training with you. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I started in 2003, and back in 2003, I was working in a nine-to-five job that at that point I hated, and I went from that to eventually making over a million dollars a year investing in real estate. I've been doing that for going on 20 years now, and over the next, oh, I don't know, up to 90 minutes, I'll tell you a little bit about what I learned and what I did right, and I'll also share with you what I did wrong. Because the best way to learn is not from your mistakes. It's from what? Other people's mistakes. Yeah, experience is the toughest teacher there is. You get the test first, and you get the lesson after. Trust me, that's not how you want to learn how to invest in real estate. And, and probably the biggest value you're going to get out of just listening to me tonight, you know, I don't claim to be the smartest guy in this room, but I do tell you I've been in this room before. I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm a full cycle investor. I've invested in up markets and down markets and high interest and low interest and market booms and market busts and pandemics and mortgage crashes and everything else, right? I've, I've, I've seen it all. I've watched the transmogrification of Austin over the last uh, 20 years. Uh, and I've figured out a few things uh, about how to make money in this business, really in any market that you can name uh, here in Texas. I do both active, I do passive. Uh, I'm a private money lender, I partner on deals, I do residential deals, I do commercial syndications, I love them all. And to me, they just all solve different problems, right? They're, they're not, there's not one thing that's better or worse than any of the others, they're just, they just solve different problems. You know, you have money, you want to make money, you put it in a commercial, you want to make money to replace your job, flip houses, I mean, these are all just things you can do to solve whatever problems you, that you're coming here with, with some intention to solve. So what are we going to learn? Well, I am going to teach you a bunch of different strategies, stuff you're probably not going to learn watching HGTV or YouTube, uh, including several strategies on how to make money, even with, uh, with, with no money and no credit. And whether you have money or not, you, you heard me say that earlier, you have to learn how to do this with no money and with no credit. Because, you know, the only way to scale this business, if you want to make a lot of money, you're going to do a lot of deals. You're going to have to do a lot of deals. To do a lot of deals, you have to do the deals in a scalable way. So I don't have enough money. Nobody has enough money. So I use other people's money. And if I use other people's money, how many deals can I do? Right? All of them. I can't be everywhere at once. I don't know everything. I don't have an unlimited set of resources. But that's actually not true because actually collectively, I can be everywhere at once. I do have an infinite set of resources and I can do an infinite number of deals. And one thing I figured out a long time ago as a real estate investor is I can make a lot more money. I don't mean like a little more money. I mean like a lot more money getting 50% of 1,000 deals than 100% of five deals. So there's power in scale. And, and when you understand that and start thinking that way, you realize there's power in a network. When you look around this room, what do you see? Do you see your competition? You know what I see? Buyers, sellers, money, leads, deals, opportunity. Right? And if you start to think that way, you realize everything you need to be a multimillionaire or even a billionaire is probably in this network. People that loan you money, partner on deals, people with the knowledge you don't have, people that are the boots on the ground where, where you need the boots on the ground. 
Uh, we're going to learn how to turn even a small IRA. We're here at the Quest Trust IRA. They're a partner of the Texas RIAs. We're going to learn how to turn even a small IRA into millions of dollars tax-free. I think you'll like that. Uh, how about how to acquire $10 million in rental properties with little or no money and no credit? Um, my wife and I own a portfolio of about $30 million worth of houses. I mentioned that before. If I wanted to buy $30 million worth of houses, by the way, traditionally, well, think about it. I'd have to put down 20% every time I bought a house. I'd have to be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire just to become a millionaire. Well, I wasn't a multi, multi-millionaire when I started investing in real estate. I wasn't even a millionaire. So then how was I able to accumulate a portfolio of $30 million worth of houses? Well, I had to learn other ways to buy houses. I had to learn how to buy houses even with little or no money and no credit. And I'm going to teach you that trick as well. That's probably my very best trick. So I think you're going to like that a lot. So great. Then how come everybody doesn't make a million dollars a year investing in real estate? Well, there are some problems. So let's talk about some of the problems. Uh, fear. Fear is a big problem. A lot of people are afraid to do this. I was scared to death. Honestly, I was sitting in these same chairs. This was the RIA within Texas RIA, the first one that I joined literally 20 years ago. And I remember doing my first deal. I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm going to lose money. Fear paralyzes a lot of people, right, at the starting blocks. Next problem, finding deals. Good deals are hard to find. Anybody that says good deals are easy to find is either a liar or a fool. The hardest part of this business is finding deals. But I'm going to show you where to look, and it's probably not where you think. And then finally, doing deals. What I love most about being a real estate investor is so many ways to do it. I'm going to teach you a whole bunch of different ways to do this, stuff you're not going to learn watching HGTV. So for most people, these are the problems, and most people honestly never get past these problems. But here's the good news. This is exactly what the Real Estate Investor Association was set up to do. Local, long-standing, deeply resourced communities of real estate investors sharing tribal knowledge and resources and helping people get started investing in real estate. So I'm going to help you get past all of this if you're just getting started exactly the same way that the RIA helped me when I was getting started literally 20 years ago. Okay, quick disclaimer. Let me take a deep breath. This subject matters for educational purposes only. We are not lawyers, CPAs, financial planners, etc. You should always have your contracts, taxes, business plans, etc. reviewed by an attorney and or financial advisor before completing any real estate transactions. Government regulations also require that I disclose that the results that I discuss are not typical results. I am an action taker and have achieved remarkable results and the investors I talk about are action takers and not your typical average people. I believe average people don't take any action and therefore get zero results. Only you can decide if you're going to be a typical average person or an above average action taker. You know, here in Texas, we kind of have a saying that sums that all up. And the saying we have in Texas is all hat and no anybody cattle. Yeah, anybody here from Texas, all hat and no cattle. What does that mean? Means everybody says they're going to roll up their sleeves, and everybody says they're going to go out and do something, take action. But the, tr- the but the truth is, most people go out and do what? Nothing. Probably heard of the 80/20 rule: 20% of the people make all the money, pretty much in the world. I think in real estate investing is more like the 95/5 rule. Like 5% of people do this, but the ones that do this, they don't just make the money; they make gobs of money, incredible amounts of money. Did you know that almost 80% of the millionaires in this country got there all or in part through investing in real estate? So let me translate that. You know it's really, really difficult to become a millionaire not investing in real estate? But you can't be all had and no cattle. You do have to roll up your sleeves and you do have to take action. So how do we help people at the RIA? Well, you know, we do a lot of different things, including helping people get over their fear. So if this seems a little scary, I get it. I can relate and I can help. In fact, we actually even sponsor a show. 
that we call Houses Flipping People. You know, there's all these shows about people flipping houses. Well, we sponsor a show called Houses Flipping People. It's about people flipping houses, but their lives were also flipped by the house, in other words, transformed from becoming real estate investors. And every week, we interview one of you and tell your story, which is a great way to tell your story and a great way to learn from your peers. So I'll give you a few quick ones. Uh, Flavia came to us during the pandemic. Single mom owned a bakery. Bakery goes away with the pandemic. She's like, I need to make money fast doing something else. Taught her how to flip houses. Flipped 15 houses, getting started, not bad. And uh, she's never going back to the bakery. Uh, Jeff came to us and uh, Jeff says, man, last week was a bad week for me. I got a divorce and I lost my job in the same week. So kind of a double whammy. I need a, a, a start over plan. Taught him how to flip houses made $500,000 in his very first year as a real estate investor. Yep, and he's never going back to that job, and he's never going back to that wife, so he's now a real estate investor. Uh, Mike and Vanessa, right here in Austin, um, they're general contractors. You said you're looking for general contractors. They're examples of general contractors, and so they fix and flip the houses for the real estate investors, right, in the network. We have a lot of general contractors in the network, but you know, after a while, what they noticed is that they're doing all the work well, we're making all the money. So they come to me and they say, look, we don't mind fixing these houses for you, but can you teach us how to be the investor? I said, sure. So I taught them how to be the investor. And in their very first year, they only did one fix and flip. I mean, they did a bunch of uh, general contractor projects, but they only did one deal in their first year as uh, real estate investors. They only flipped one house. Uh, anybody want to guess how much money they made on that one house? Two million dollars. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's right on the slide, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty cool. Bought a house in Terrytown for nine hundred seventy-five thousand. Pretty much ripped it down to the studs and uh, sold it for five point seven million. One hundred percent financed with the private money in this network. Private money is faster, cheaper, better than hard money, any other kind of money. Uh, cleared net two million. So if you're only going to do one deal a year, how about an extra two million dollars on that one deal a year? And again, 100% financed uh, by the people in this network. So literally every week, we interview one of you to tell the story. I don't know anybody else that can do that, by the way. So we're very proud of this. Like every week, we can point to somebody who's now typically a millionaire or even a multimillionaire. Roberto, a college engineering student doing real estate as a side hustle. Can you believe an engineering student with a side hustle? Uh, flipped his first house, uh, partnered with somebody in the network, made $300,000 on his first house. And during the interview, Olivia is doing the uh, interview, says, uh, Huberto, are you working on any other projects? He says, yeah, I'm working on 24 other projects. Not bad for a side hustle. Chris came to us, and she did something I think is really smart. So for those of you that are getting started, here's an idea. Most people, when they're going to start flipping houses, they watch some YouTube videos, they read some books, they're like, honey, let's go flip a house. They try to figure it out. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Well, here's like a different idea. How about when you do your first deal, why not partner with somebody who's maybe done hundreds of deals before, learn how to do it the right way, and then split the profits? Now, I know what everybody's thinking, because everybody always says the same thing. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody partner? Why would a, why would a successful real estate investor partner with a rookie? Why would they do that? Well, I'm going to give you all a fact of life. This is just a fact of life. If you ever want to do business with somebody operating at a higher business stature than you, you're going to have to help them before they're going to help you. That's just how life works. So what could you possibly do to get a multimillionaire real estate investor want to help you bring them a money-making deal? And that's exactly what Chris brought to me. 
So she brings me this deal. She's like, what do you think of this? I said, that is a money-making deal. She said, would you partner on the deal with me? I said, for half the profits, heck yes. Right? I get half the profits. She leveraged my money, teams, uh, resources, experience. Right? That's a win-win. She's done many deals since then. Uh, petroleum engineer, flips over 100 houses. Elizabeth, a marketing executive down in San Antonio, kind of burned out of her career, learned how to flip houses. Uh, Olivia, during the interview, says, how much have you made from what Phil taught you? He says, well, I got $6.7 million in the bank right now. Not bad. Buddy worked for State Farm, got burned out doing that as an insurance adjuster, taught him how to flip houses, flipped over 150 houses. Not bad. We have a car salesman flip 60 houses. Eddie, Eddie came to us from Los Angeles, okay? He uh, was a film producer. I think California has a program where they pay people to move to Texas. I'm not quite sure how that works, but whatever. He was one of them. And he started a family, and he's like, you know, I really don't like the culture uh, in California. I want to raise my kids in Texas. That's what he wanted to do. But he gets here to Texas. He's like, well, they're not making any films here in Texas, so I need to learn how to make some money uh, doing something, not films. Uh, so I taught him how to flip houses. He flips over 100 houses. And during the interview, Olivia says, Eddie, how much money have you made from what Phil taught you flipping houses? And Eddie just says, I've made a lot of money. And Olivia's kind of digging in. Well, come on, like, what does that mean? Like, you, know, you just like give us some kind of a number. He's like, well, I can tell you I'm now worth more than $10 million. So not bad for an ex-film producer. We have firemen, we have football players, we have school teachers, doctors, we have NASA engineers. Uh, we have people from all walks of life as part of this network. And every week, we literally interview one of them and tell their story. So a little tip, go subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow along. And every week you'll see a, a deal and you'll see one of your peers. You get to know one of your peers and hear their story. It's very educational and inspirational at the same time. And Olivia, uh, our host of the show, is actually here tonight. Olivia, can you come on up and just tell everybody just a little bit more uh, about the show and uh, what it's all about? So yes, yeah, so I love being a real estate investor myself today and interview everybody. Uh, once a week, I go out uh, between Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio, interview investors, not just how, how the real estate uh, have transformed their life, but their family, their, their community and contractors and so on. So I love uh, sharing their journey. Why did they become a real estate investor? We all have our why. My why was because I was going through a divorce uh, not that long ago, and I didn't even have a house to live or a car to drive. I was broke as it can be. Uh, I came into this network, to this event right now, uh, as a guest. I was just stopping by. I, was, I didn't even came for this event. I actually just, pretty much I was stopping by on this, and then was when I heard the Phil and Chanel that is not here today, uh, sharing all these amazing tools that I could become a real estate investor. I did not understand, of course, born and raised in Brazil with my accent, it took me a little bit longer than the majority of the people. I did told Phil at the time, I gotta go put my life together and then I'm gonna come back and I'm super excited and he's like, stop, you are in the right place. I have all the tools that you need that you can start it today. You don't need money, you don't need license and uh, cause that's all those things that I said, I don't have the money, broke as it can be, I have about $50,000 in red in my credit cards. Uh, my credit score was low as it can be at the time and he like, when I don't use my credit score, I don't need money, so you're fine, I can teach you. I have taught hundreds of people, you're not the first one. So I did took the chance uh, to come to one of uh, the three-day workshop that he's probably gonna be sharing with you guys here in a little bit. 
Uh, we, and we do free training for the, the network. Yes, people. and I did took the take advantage of that, and I did the came, and that is where I learned everything that I know today when it comes to real estate. And one of my first strategy was actually door knocking because it was free, as he said in the beginning. I can teach you regardless where you at financially. There's, there's things you can do that are free. There's things that you do to take money. Right, door knocking is an example of something for free. Some people hate it, some people love it, but if you don't have any money, it's a way to do it. So you knocked on some doors. I didn't say I love, I do love the potential. Then I did <laughs> got made much money and I did help a lot of homeowners and I did put, get a lot of house. Uh, and I got really comfortable through door knocking. Uh, but yeah, so I got my first deal through door knocking uh, and um, and I made $10,000 with that particular deal. And it was actually in Houston, even though I live in Austin, I went door knocking in Houston uh, because I was traveling, going back and forth at the time. So I got my first deal in, uh, in Houston and in pretty much in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. I have done deals all over Texas well, today. Well, when you got that first $10,000 check, what, what did you think? How many more door knock can I go door knock? <laughs> How many more doors out there for me to actually go explore the world? So, and I use the foreclosure list. Uh, if, you, if you guys are wondering, which list did I use? Uh, one of the, the list that Phil gave it to us was actually foreclosure, and that's the one that I chose uh, to go door knock uh, at the time. And uh, so I got $10,000 on that particular deal. And uh, today I actually live here in Westlake. I got my house subject to. And um, my credit card is on auto payment. I have no more debt on my credit. My credit score is high as it can be uh, because that's how it is now. So I can say that I am living the American dream, not the headache. Because and your, your, your boys go to Westlake, the best my, school in, in Austin, arguably. Yes. And then uh, you, you own rental properties? I own the rental property. I, loan, I own buy and hold. And um, I can say that everything is going to the right direction, 100%, because of you, the network, and everything that you have given back to us. Because a lot of people in my, on my ways at the time, I didn't have much hopes because I was broke as it can be. And you actually gave me... I would say life and hope to be here today and share my journey. So thank you for that. Well, and thank you for sharing your story. Appreciate that. So thank, thank you. you. So um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of proud of this little show we do with the members here. So check out the show. It's on YouTube and every week you get a new episode with a new story and it's inspirational. And this is one of the ways we help people get over their fear. If you're partnering with others, if you're part of a local community of people, it's just a lot less scary to actually do this. So I'm gonna go ahead and cross out the fear. So let's get into some of this presentation. My first real estate deal, by the way, was December 15, 2003. That's the day I did my very first deal. Been involved in about 1,200 flips since then. And I'll tell you a little bit about some of the deals I did. These are some of the houses I flipped. I don't have time to go through all of them. But I do approximately a real estate transaction a week in some shape, form, variety, or another. Uh, and what that does, it creates money in big chunks. Now that sounds good, right? Money in big chunks, sounds good. But I'm not here to sound good. The way this business fundamentally works is as follows. We do things to find people with problems. Uh, what kind of problems? They have a house they don't want, a mortgage they can't afford, uh, a property they wanna sell. Problems to entrepreneurs are what? Opportunities, big problems are what? Big opportunities. So, so like if you're thinking, I don't want any problem, you're thinking, I don't wanna be an entrepreneur. We're real estate entrepreneurs. All entrepreneurs have something in common with all other entrepreneurs. We help the world by solving the world's problems, right? We solve real estate problems. And I'll give you some examples of some, some deals that made money. Uh, I found somebody facing foreclosure, big problem. 
Uh, I gave them an alternative, something called a short sale, that allowed them to sell their house without having to bring money to the table, without completely destroying their credit. And I made $16,000 helping somebody solve a problem. Uh, REO stands for bank owned, real estate owned, bank owned property. Banks don't want to own real estate. They're not in that business. So I took it off the bank's hands, solving the bank's problem. Uh, sold it, made 36000 I had a legal problem. I had to sell a house by Friday. A realtor cannot sell your house by Friday. I can. I uh, got on a contract, wholesaled it, made $5,000. Got a property subject to my specialty, no money, no credit, flipped it, made $68,000, on an assignment, uh, $6,000 on a mortgage assignment, $10,000 on a wholesale, $2,800 a small referral, $12,400 for a large referral. The way this business fundamentally works is as follows. We do things to find people with problems, to get people with problems to find us. And here's the beautiful part. For every problem that exists, for every address that exists, for every homeowner that exists, we have a strategy, right? We have a dozen different strategies. And, and one of these strategies, collectively, these 12 strategies solves every problem there is. I can help motivated sellers. I can help non-motivated sellers. I can hope, help people that own their houses free and clear. I can help people that are hopelessly underwater where they owe more money than the house is worth. I can help them. I can get them to sell their problem. And I can make money at the same time. Sometimes I get singles, and sometimes I get doubles, and sometimes I get home runs. Sometimes I work on a lead, a deal, an opportunity, a problem, for six months, and after six months, I make $5,000. And I'm like, oh man, six months, $5,000? I could have made more money working at Walmart. Thank goodness I'm not working on just one lead at a time. Sometimes my phone rings, and that phone call makes me $55,000 in 48 hours. I'm like, oh man, I wish every time my phone rang, I made $55,000 in 48 hours. But that's not how it works either. That's maybe one in 100 phone calls. So the question to ask yourself is simple. How often do you get 100 phone calls? That depends on you and how much marketing that you do, how much looking that you do. Do you get 100 phone calls every week? Do you get 100 phone calls every month? Or do you get 100 phone calls every year? That depends on you and how much marketing that you do. So there's two essential skills that I'm going to teach you right now to be a real estate investor. The first and foremost skill is marketing. Marketing is finding the deal. I'm going to teach you how to find the deal. Okay? We need to spend 85% of our time and money on marketing, finding the deal. Outsource everything else. Next skill we're going to learn is strategy. Strategy is doing the deal, solving the problem. We buy houses, help people sell houses, get rid of houses or mortgages they don't want, can't afford. We do it in a variety of different ways that solves a variety of different problems. So marketing and strategy, finding deals, doing deals, finding problems, solving problems. We use 65 tested, proven, perfected methods of finding off-market wholesale properties. I'm going to teach them to you. We use a dozen different strategies to help people solve the problem and get the deal done. Over half of the marketing methods are completely free. Some of you have more time and less money. Some of you have more money and less time. You can, you can outsource it all. You can insource it all or some combination. And nine of the 12 investing strategies are actually no money and no credit strategies. And when you learn how to buy and sell and even own real estate with no money and no credit, then how many properties can you buy? That'd be all of them. How many would you like to buy? All of them. Yeah. If I ask a question, you say all of them, you're probably going to get it right. So yeah, marketing strategy, finding deals, doing deals, finding problems, solving problems. Let's get started with the marketing. Oh, actually, first I'm going to tell you a quick story. This was the very first house I flipped, and it was literally just a few blocks from here on a street called Hornsby. Literally just, it's just many blocks from here. I literally bought a house for $80,000. I wish I'd kept it. <laughs> I didn't, I flipped, I made money. I did make money, but this was, I, you know, this was my very first deal. And I bought this house on December 15, 2003. Uh, but I'll tell you a little story. On December 14, 2003, I was scared to death. I was actually being coached and mentored by the two guys who ran 
the Real Estate Investor Association back then, and I called them both on the phone on December 14, 2003. I'm scared. I don't want to lose any money. Are you guys sure this is going to work? Yeah, it took two seasoned, experienced real estate investors pulling me, kicking and screaming over the starting blocks to get me to do that very first deal. So if you're a little scared, I get it. I can relate uh, and I can help. But I actually had one other thing that was motivating me to take action. I was in a job I no longer loved and I was in a career that I no longer loved. And I got to tell you, if you're spending your time doing something you don't love doing, yeah, you need to do something different with your life plan. And that's exactly where I was on December 15, 2003. I needed a different life. And I got to tell you, you get one life and it just flies by. It just flies by. I noticed I have a 14 year old boy living in my house. I don't know how that happened. I had a baby. Now there's a teenager. It's like, what happened? It's just like, it just happened, right? And if you're not on a trajectory to getting the life that you want, if you're not reaching your God-given potential, then maybe you need to do something different with your life plan. So let me tell you a little bit more about that first deal. Your first deal is so many ways your most important deal. It's, it's a life-changing experience. It's like, it's like your first kiss, right? Everybody remembers their first kiss. Everybody remembers their first deal. The bathroom, excuse me, is over there, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, no problem. There's a second one to do that, right through those doors over there. So everybody's going to wander around in the kitchen looking for the bathroom. So yeah. So let me tell you about my first deal. Uh, everybody remembers their first deal. Everybody remembers their first uh, kiss. So it took me six months to find my first deal. I was actually an unusually slow starter. I uh, got it under contract using a contract. Nope, right through those doors. Sorry, the glass doors. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it doesn't look like it would go anywhere, but it does. I uh, got it under contract using a contract I got right here at the RIA. Bought it using OPM, other people's money. We have over a thousand private money lenders in this network. You know, private money is cheaper, faster, better, more reliable than hard money. You got private money, you got a competitive advantage. I uh, got a contractor, or a contractor right here in the RIA to fix it for me. Got a realtor right here in the RIA to sell it for me. Got an attorney and title company right here at the RIA to close it for me. And I went to that very first closing. I picked up that very first check for $15,384.26. And you know, when they handed me that check, it was like you unscrewed the cap, popped out the old brain, and popped in the new brain. You see, right up until the second they handed me that check, I was a real estate investor based on theory. And I'm not sure I even believe the theory. I don't know about this, not sure about that, don't know about this other thing. But the second they handed me that check, like a switch flipping, I became a real estate investor based on experience. And what I realized when they handed me that check is if I did this and this and this again, I get another check, right? It worked the first time. And if I did this, this, and this again, I get another check. If I did this, this, and this again, I get another check. But the really big deal that I realized when they handed me that check, at that moment, I realized that I would never, ever, 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 for the rest of my life, ever have to work for somebody else. Ever, 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 never, ever again. And I haven't worked for anybody else even for one second since they handed me that check. So if you're new and you're just getting started, here's my first piece of advice. You need to focus yourself like a laser beam on that very first deal because that very first deal will change your life, literally by changing your mindset. So I told you I was going to tell you what I did right. I'm also going to tell you what I did wrong. I made one big mistake, one big rookie mistake right out of the chute. I spent all that time finding the deal. I found the deal. Once I found the deal, I kind of picked up some hammers, started managing contractors, working on that deal. I finished the deal only to wake up the next day. I got the check only to wake up the next day to realize I had absolutely nothing to do except start the whole business all over again. And this gets me to my very first takeaway, and here it is, and this is the big one. The business of being a real estate investor is the business of finding deals. 
It's all about finding deals. Why? Because you make your money on the buy. What does that mean? As soon as you find a property and get it under contract, whatever money is going to be made or not made on that deal, it's done right at that moment. Yeah, you get the money at the end, but you make the money on the buy. And once you understand that, you realize you ha always have to spend 85% of all of your time and money looking for the next deal with the attitude that the next deal is always more important than the deal you have now. The rookies all screw this up. The rookies do a deal, right? Great, make some money, great, but they stop their marketing. So then they reset the marketing. Eventually they get it all geared up again, right? They look for a deal, they find a deal, they do a deal, they're great, they make some money, great, but they stop the marketing to go work on the deal. So then they reset the marketing, eventually get it going again, find another deal, do a deal, make some money, great, great, but they stop the marketing. And the rookies see at the same time ever again, their income goes up and down and up and down with big gaps in between. You need your income to go up, 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 up. And the only way to do that is you always have to spend 85% of your time and money looking for the next deal, keeping that pipeline full of deals. And you have to approach this business such that the next deal is always more important than the deal you have now. The scarcity mindset, let's make money off of what we have now. The, the abundance mindset says, no, screw that, let's just go get more. It's a completely different way of thinking. And hence, by the way, your deals you're looking for are not, by the way, in the MLS. The MLS is the multiple listing service. It's the retail market for real estate. It's where realtors sell real estate. It's where all the people in the world compete with each other to see who will pay the most. And I hate to say it, but when you're competing against all the people in the world, some of those people are stupid. And you don't want to compete against stupid. Well, you don't want to win competing against stupid. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I love the MLS. I adore the MLS. Why do I love and adore the MLS? Because after I buy off-market wholesale real estate, where do I then want to resell it? On the MLS! It's been proven that any property sold in the MLS will sell for the most that it could be possibly sold for. That's just never where you're going to find heavily discounted wholesale real estate. So finding deals. Once I realized this whole shoot match is really about finding deals, then I started to systematize the process of finding deals. And over time, it developed 65 different methods for finding deals. Actually, that's not accurate. It's not really accurate to say I developed 65 methods. What would be more accurate is to say I found 65 things at work, and I started to do those things. In fact, I need to teach you all a really important lesson, maybe the most important lesson I'm going to teach you today. For, for me to teach you this next lesson, first I need to unteach you all something. So I've got to unteach you all something. When you guys are in elementary school, if you looked over the paper next to you and you copied down the answers, that was called what? Cheating. And you were all told that cheating is what? Bad. Wrong. Okay. We're not a bunch of little kids. We're not in elementary school anymore. Going forward, I need you all to unlearn that. Because in business, guess what? Cheating is the shortcut. What am I saying up here? What I'm trying to say is simple. There's nothing you're trying to do. There's absolutely nothing that you are trying to figure out that I and other people haven't already done and figured out. Everything, and I mean everything, and I mean absolutely everything about this business is completely understood. We know, this. We, we know what's in the soil. We know the chemical composition of the soil. We know the zoning. We know the guys who write the zoning. We know the appreciation rate down to the street address in all the major metropolitan cities 
across the state of Texas. It varies by neighborhood. We know which neighborhoods appreciate more than others. We know the exact letters to send to the exact mailing list. We know the exact words to say. We know the exact offers to make. We know exactly what objections we're going to get. We know exactly how to overcome the objections. And we even know how many contracts we're going to get signed for every 10,000 letters we send out. Everything, and I mean everything, and I mean absolutely everything about this business is completely understood. And once I realized that everything I was trying to do and everything I was trying to figure out, other people had done and figured out, I finally stopped trying to figure everything out and I just started to, here's that word, copy, right, copy the 65 tested proven methods of actually finding off-market wholesale deals. Now, some of these methods take time and some take money. Right? When you get started, you probably have more time and less money. Once you get going, you have more money and less time. I will be honest with you, I don't spend any time at all anymore on marketing. I outsource 100%. But when you're getting started, you're probably going to insource more. So what are some of these marketing methods? Well, let me teach you a whole bunch. First set of strategies has to do with direct mail. You can buy lists of motivated sellers. They're called mailing lists. What do you do with a mailing list? Well, you can send them mail, letters or postcards. Or you can call them on the phone. You get phone numbers. Or you can text them. Or you can knock on their door, or you can do any combination of the above in what's called a multi-touch campaign, right? So what are some of the popular lists? Well, you can get a list of people that didn't pay their property taxes, people that are late paying their mortgage, people that have filed for divorce, two people who are combining their income to pay a mortgage. Now, one of them's gone. Well, the one that's left is probably having trouble paying the mortgage by themselves. You can get a list of people who inherited a house from somebody that passed away. People's credit scores are falling. People who just got dismissed from bankruptcy. Certainly a lot of financial distress there. You can get a non-owner-occupied list. There's a list of people who own a house they don't live in themselves. Well, technically, they're landlords. And a lot of them are accidental landlords. They couldn't sell the house, so they let uh, a friend or neighbor or an ex-spouse live in a house, or they inherited a house with a tenant in it. Uh, they don't know anything about being a landlord. Very often, they eventually become motivated sellers. You can get a list of people who rent to people on public assistance. You can get a code enforcement list. You know the city's already driving around issuing citations for abandoned houses, hoarder houses, deferred maintenance houses. Did you know you can get the city to give you a list of every problem property in the city? You can even get an expired listing list. There's a list of people that hired a realtor, tried for a long time to sell it, and it didn't sell. So what do we know about these people? We know 100% of these people would like to sell their house. Probably now more than ever but they probably need solutions that realtors don't offer. Well, hello, that's exactly what investors do offer. So if you just call some of these people that have houses they need to sell or want to sell, some of them will call you back. Those are called leads. If you make them an offer, some of them will say yes. And those are called deals. With a website, you can get leads on the internet, bayonet signs, little plastic signs, say we buy houses. Why do you see those signs? Because they work. Online ads work. Email, autoresponders, magnetic signs, little sign inside your car. Buy the sign once for 15 bucks, you get leads for the rest of your life. Door hangers, you don't want to send out letters? Well, you can pay somebody 10 cents a door to put a flyer on every door in a neighborhood. Here's one that's pretty much free, driving for dollars. Sometimes I'm driving around and I see a tarp on a roof. They might as well be waving the big red flag. Desperate motivated seller, please buy my house. I mean, think about this. Somebody's most valuable asset, a house, has a serious problem, okay, a leak, and their solution was to do what? To go buy a $5 tarp at Home Depot. Well, how come they didn't just replace the roof? No money. Same guy not fixing the roof, not paying his insurance, not paying his taxes. Sooner or later, uh, you know what? Uh, somebody is going to uh, buy that house. Uh, what are the other marketing strategies? Oh, wait. We interrupt this program for a special announcement. 
All right, I kind of hinted at this before. We actually have a little workshop. We train the members of this network through training workshops. And uh, we actually offer a free training workshop for the members here. It's not always free, but we're doing a special promotion. And this is practical, actionable, detailed, step-by-step -step training. I teach this myself. We teach this on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. You can attend online. Uh, you can attend in person where we have time to go through all 12 marketing strategies, the, uh, oh, sorry, 65 marketing strategies, all 12 investing strategies, the closes, which are the exact words to say, to get somebody to accept your solution to their offer. And I'm going to tell you, negotiating for real estate, I'll demonstrate a little bit, it's not intuitive. It's, in most of it is exactly the opposite of what most people think. So I'll demonstrate some of that. Uh, learn how to partner, great way to get started, partner with experienced people. You don't have to, but it's a great way to start. Learn how to access funding, a thousand private money lenders, thousands, and I mean thousands, and I mean thousands of successful Texas real estate investors got started this workshop, The Real Deal, Texans Teaching Texans How to Invest in Texas. We even sponsor a show where every week we interview somebody who's now typically a millionaire or multimillionaire. And the reason I mention it is actually we have a special promotion and we have a special tour coming up in Austin, Dallas, and Houston. So pick the date that works best for you and the location. You can attend live and in person or you can attend online. Uh, and there's a little link so you can click on that little QR code if you just take a picture of your phone. Uh, or you can go to this link, texasstarterkit.com. And for you guys online, just click on the link in the comments below. We have a big online audience, and for those guys online, click on the link in the comment below. I will put this back at the end, so I'll, I'll for any of you that are interested. Uh, but yeah, we do training for the membership of this community. Uh, this is the Texas Real Estate Investing Training. We have both commercial classes and residential classes. We do a lot of different things for the community. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you are interested in commercial? Commercial real estate. How many just residential? Residential. Okay. How many both? Residential and commercial. Okay. We do both. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a resource for commercial as well in a few minutes. Okay. So more deal finding strategies. Um, letters of intent. What is a letter of intent? Um, a letter of intent is an offer. Okay. So then who should you send an offer to? And the answer is everybody. I'm going to give you all your first homework assignment. Here it is. For, for tomorrow, I want each of you to send 200 people an offer on their house. Yeah, I'm not kidding. You see, here's how investors think. Ready, fire, aim. You make the offer, and then you negotiate. You make the offer, and then you do your due diligence. You make the offer, and then you look for the money. You make the offer, and then you think about it. You should make everyone an offer. Why not? Do you know that every time in Texas that you make somebody an offer, you know you get four different options? You might want to write them down. Option number one, you can buy a house. They might say yes. It's called taking a shot. If you take enough shots on goal, what do you think is going to happen? Some of them go in, even if you suck. And with practice, what happens? More of them go in, because with practice, you no longer suck. So option number one, you can buy a house. Option number two, you can terminate the contract. Did you know that? The Texas State Promulgated Contract gives the buyer the unilateral right to just rip it up, walk away, no harm, no foul, no penalty, no risk. Option number three, you can renegotiate the contract. You know, it's much, much, much easier to renegotiate than it is to negotiate. Option number four, 
you can actually sell the contract itself to somebody else that has money. Notice only one of those four options even required you to come up with any money to buy a house. Just make offers and give yourself options. Business cards, FISBO for sale by owner, cold calling. Why would somebody try to sell their own house? Maybe they're lazy, maybe they're crazy, maybe they need solutions realtors don't offer. Well, hello, mass media, television, radio, billboards, we do them all expensive but effective. Past referrals, other investors. Sometimes the best way to find a deal is to get other investors to find the deal for you. By the way, do you all know what I'm doing up here right now? What do you suppose I'm doing right now? What do you think? It's called marketing. Yeah, I call this marketing. I will guesstimate, based on the number of people listening to me, both live and online, I'm going to be very conservative. Sometime over the next 12 months, very conservatively, I should partner on no less than one, two, three deals with somebody who's listening to me right now sometime over the next 12 months. Average net profit on a flip, 40 grand, my share, 20 grand. Means as a result of the presentation I'm giving right now, I should pretty easily be able to put an extra 20 plus 20 plus 20, an extra $60,000 in my pocket sometime over the next 12 months as a result of the presentation I'm giving right now. Not bad. Better than a poke in the eye with a stick, wouldn't you all agree? And by the way, you can all do exactly the same thing. Because there's people in this room that have money that are looking for deals. There's people in this room that have deals that are looking for money. Some people want buy and hold, some people want fix and flip, some people want short sales, some people want wholesales. Some people want Austin, some people want Dallas, some people want Houston, some people want San Antonio. All the members of this network, by the way, and there's tens of thousands of them, are all interconnected through an online network. We meet every minute of every day. And do you know that multiple times a day and thousands and thousands of times over the last decade, the members of this community post their deals, questions, offers, resources, money, uh, contracts back and forth over that network? I said earlier, guys, you're not going to find your deal in the MLS. That's ridiculous. That's the retail marketplace. That's the retail pond. That's the pond with the small fish. You need to fish in the wholesale pond. That's the pond with the big fish. So then where's the wholesale pond? You're sitting in it. Yeah, a large network of real estate investors horse trading, wholesaling properties back and forth. Welcome to the wholesale marketplace. Everything you need is in this network. You need money, we've got all the money you ever need. You want, you want to buy a $100 million building? We just did a $120 million building. Oh, thank you for that, I appreciate that. Uh, deals, leads, proprietary tools, partners, everything you need is in this network. And, and when you adapt the abundance mindset, you know, and, and you realize that working with others, collaboration, partnering, borrowing, lending, that's how you scale it up. That's how you scale up your business to make a lot of money. So welcome to the wholesale marketplace. Realtors, I'll just answer the question. People always say, should I become a realtor? I'm not a realtor. Most real estate investors are not realtors. It's not going to help you as a real estate investor to be a realtor. In some ways, it will hinder you. I don't have to follow the rules of realtors, okay? So that's one of the reasons I'm not a realtor. So you can be a realtor investor. I'm just telling you it's not necessary, and it's probably going to be more of a hindrance than a help. Uh, HUD scenarios, another common rookie mistake, bank-owned properties. Uh, people are like, uh, should I buy houses from the banks, right? And, and they hear the word foreclosure, and a lot of rookies are like, ooh, foreclosure is a deal, foreclosure is a deal. Yeah, probably not. When a bank forecloses on a house, you know what they do with it? They call a realtor called an REO agent, they say, stick it on the MLS and bring me the idiot that pays the most. I don't want that to be you. 
right? So we don't usually buy those properties. Instead, we buy the pre-foreclosures before they go back to the bank. Well, how do you find the pre-foreclosures? Well, here in Texas, guess what? On the first Tuesday of the month, rain, shine, holiday or not, everybody that didn't pay their mortgage gets auctioned off at the county courthouse steps, at every county courthouse in the state. And you know you can get a list of all the houses going to the auction 21 days before the auction. You can get a list of all the houses going to the auction. You can go knock on their door and you can offer to buy it before the auction. And very often you can get it for before the auction for less than it sells at the auction. Why? Because you're not bidding against 300 other guys and that's door knocking. Wholesaling, let's have the talk. There's a lot of wholesaling and horse trading amongst real estate investors and that's a good thing, but we always issue a little warning to go along with it. And the warning is simple. Nobody will love your money more than you. You have to always do your own due diligence. When a wholesaler sends you a deal and says this house is worth 100000 what is the house worth? 80 max. When a wholesaler sends you a deal and says this house needs 20000 repairs, what is it going to need? 40 minimum. When a wholesaler says, ooh, it's your lucky day for a non-refundable deposit, you can, you can get this lucky deal, you put down that $5,000 non-refundable deposit, I can just about guarantee with about a 19 out of 20 chance that I'm right, you'll be losing a lot of money beyond the 5,000 you got started with. It is fiction, folks. Please do not believe fiction for a minute. When a wholesaler sends me a deal, I briefly look at all the numbers and I throw the numbers in the trash. And then I run my own numbers. And the only reason I even looked at the numbers before I threw them in the trash, I kind of want to know how much they were lying to me when I compare it to the real numbers. So look, it would be really, really stupid to ever buy real estate based on information about the real estate provided to you by the person trying to sell the real estate to you or anybody associated, recommended, or affiliated with them. Don't do that. I said earlier, your first deal is your most important deal, and it is. But if you lose money on your first deal, you know what? At the end of that deal, 100% of your real estate investing experience will have been bad, and you'll never come back for more. So just don't do that. Bird dogs, Craigslist, social media. Why so many different marketing methods? Well, would you rather fish with a hook or would you rather fish with a net? You need to learn to fish with a net. And the reason is because this business is a numbers game, and now I'm going to teach you the numbers. I'm going to teach you something real quick here that it took me two years of hard work in the trenches to figure out. So I'm gonna shave two years of your learning curve off right now. By 2005, I had been an investor for two years. And I calculated my first two years, I generate about 400 leads. A lead is just a name and number of somebody that might wanna sell real estate. So I was looking at a deal every couple of days, and then I did the math. And here's what I discovered. As a rookie, on average, for every $100 I did uh, in paid marketing, things like direct mail, I got one qualified motivated seller lead. As a rookie, on average, for every three hours I spent on personal marketing, things like driving for dollars, I got one qualified motivated seller lead. Then I discovered that as a rookie, on average, for every 20 leads I got, I made at least $20,000 net profit on a deal. So now let me run some numbers for you. That means as a rookie, every time I drove around for 60 hours, I made at least 20,000 profit. As a rookie, every time I sent out $2,000 in direct mail, I made at least $20,000 in profit. Spend 2,000, make 20. Spend 2,000, make 20. Spend 4,000, make 40. Spend 8,000, make 80. Spend 16,000, make 160. Spend 32,000. You don't have to spend it all at once, by the way. Make 320,000 net profit. Are you starting to like the numbers? Took me two years to figure that out. But after two years in the trenches, what I realized is, holy cow, this whole business is just a numbers game, and now I know the numbers. And after I figured this out, I actually started to think about this business in a completely different way. I now see this business, like this whole business is just a little black box. And we're gonna call that little black box a marketing machine. And the way that little black box works is every time I stick $100 worth of marketing in one end, $1,000 worth of net profit pops out the other end. 
Now, if you had a little black box, and every time you shoved a $100 bill in one end, a $1,000 bill popped out the other end, how many dollars would you stick in the box? All of them. Yeah, and I started spending money on marketing like a drunken sailor because I knew, right? I finally knew the numbers. And I started spending thousands of dollars a month on marketing. And then I started spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on marketing. And then I hired two full-time six-figure guys who spend 100% of their time spending my money on marketing. And now some months I spend as much as $100,000 a month on marketing. Because once you realize it's just a numbers game and once you realize the numbers, then it's just on. Then it's just scale it in and scale it up. Sometime later, I actually wrote a book on real estate investing. I'm not selling any books or offering any books tonight, but I will repeat something I said earlier. Nothing you're trying to do, there's nothing you're trying to figure out that I and other people haven't done and figured out. If you really want to see the future, ask somebody who's been doing it a long time to tell you what it is, right? If you really want to know what's going to work, just copy things that have already been proven to work. Okay, so we're right at the halfway point. I'm about to get into the strategies. So I'm going to show you the mechanics of how these deals work probably the most interesting part of the presentation. But if you remember at the beginning of this whole presentation, I said my job is to make you educated and contributing members of this community. And I really do want you to be educated and contributing. You know, we, we, we do these meetings all over Texas. We have a huge network. And we always have a lot of new people that come to the meetings. And we call the new people tourists. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? They're just checking it out, right? They're the tourists, right? But we figured out a long time ago, nobody makes any money being a tourist. We don't want people to just check it out. We want people to be active, buying, selling, partnering, lending. That's where money starts to get made. But I also figured out a long time ago that unfortunately, I can't turn somebody into a real estate investor in 45 minutes. If I figured out how to sprinkle pixie dust around the room and turn people into real estate investors in 45 minutes, yeah, that would be awesome. I don't know how to do that. But I can, and I have, turned people into real estate investors over a period of 24 hours. Or maybe it would be more accurate to say 24 hours spread out over three days, giving us the time to get through all the nitty-gritty details of how this business actually works. And this is why the Texas RIA sponsors the Texas Real Estate Investing Workshop. And like I said, I teach this myself, practical, actionable, detailed, step-by-step -step training. We have time to go through all 12 strategies, the marketing methods, the closes. What are the closes? Closes are the exact words you say to get somebody to accept your solution to their problem. So I'll give you an example. I recently said some magic words to a woman, and after I said these magic words, she just gave me her house. She just gave it to me. I didn't have to give her any money at all. Wonderful house, lots of equity, and she even said, thank you for taking my house. Now, who's a little skeptical right now? Raise your hand if you're a little skeptical right now. Okay, who's not skeptical right now? Really? Seriously? You're not skeptical? I just said something ridiculous. For those of you that are not skeptical, we've got a land deal we're going to talk about after class. Okay, I said something. I just told you guys that I have magic words that I can say to somebody, and they'll just give me their house from just these magic words. So let me try this again. Who's a little skeptical? Who's a little skeptical? Raise your hand if you're a little skeptical. I expect you to be a little skeptical. Good, great. I want you to be skeptical. Keep your skepticism, because in a couple of minutes, I'm going to demonstrate it. And when you see how it works, you're going to be really impressed, even if you're skeptical. So hold your horses. Learn how to partner. Learn how to access private money. Thousands, I mean thousands, and I mean thousands, of people got started 
at this workshop the real deal. Texans teaching Texans how to invest in Texas. So again, pick the location and date that works for you. Uh, go to the Texas Starter Kit. You get a bunch of goodies uh, from there. And we're doing a tour, Austin, Dallas, Houston, and uh, pick the city and location. You can come online, you can come live, or you can come on person. Oh, uh, another quick question. Um, show me again, how many of you are interested in commercial real estate? Commercial real estate? Okay. So we have a whole different part of the Texas RIAs that does commercial real estate. Uh, we have over a thousand accredited sophisticated investors that can invest in your deal. Uh, so you can raise money there, you can invest in other people's there. Uh, it's all licensed under SEC rules uh, with a uh, securities platform called the Canis Major Incubator. Uh, great place to do commercial, learn commercial. And um, for those of you that are interested, this is not for everybody, but some of you are interested. So uh, this may not be for you, but for the rest of you, um, we're doing a special little uh, thing. Uh, we're giving a crash course on commercial real estate, right? How to invest in commercial real estate in Texas, uh, multifamily, uh, storage, uh, RV, mobile home parks, you name it, uh, and how to do it in Texas. So we're going to do a crash course. It's a free online class. Uh, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 90 minutes a day for three days. So you're going to learn how to be a commercial investor in 90 minutes a day. This is the fastest crash course uh, you're ever going to see on how to invest in commercial real estate. For those of you that are interested, just go to bigprofitslive.com, bigprofitslive.com. You can register. It's free. Uh, we do it at 10 o'clock, and then we do an encore at 6.30 p.m., so 90 minutes a day for three days. I actually have a couple of people helping me uh, with that. Uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing Hugh Hilton, uh, made $18 billion uh, doing commercial real estate, the uh, you know, Hilton uh, you know, tycoon. Uh, and also, I got George Ross, uh, author of The Greatest Real Estate Deal Ever Done. He and Donald Trump bought a building in Manhattan for a million dollars, turned around and made $450 million dollars on that deal. That was a pretty good deal. Uh, he's going to talk about that uh, during our little uh, crash course. So it's going to be a really fun, high-speed crash course, fast-paced. Uh, for those of you interested in real estate, you definitely want to do that. And you start to get plugged into kind of the commercial resources uh, within the Texas RIAs as well. Okay, so we talked about fear. We talked about marketing. Now let's get into the mechanics of actually how you do the deals, which of course is the strategy. And there's a lot of different strategies for investing in real estate. You can, of course, do short sales and buy and hold and mortgage assignments and auction options and referrals, wholesaling, contracts for deeds, lease options, uh, house swapping, wraparound mortgages, equity partnering, and, of course, fix and flip. And you can certainly spend a lot of time and money in all that training and education. My wife and I have actually spent over $100,000 on training, coaching, seminars, books, tapes, etc. Most of it was great. Some of it was not great. It all sounded great. But I don't feel bad about spending $100,000 on our education because we've actually made many millions of dollars from our education. But always, people always ask, oh, well, what's the best strategy? What's the best strategy? So I'm going to answer that question right now. The good news is when you look at all these strategies, the good news is they all work. All of these things can make you money investing in real estate. The bad news is that they each only work in unique situations. So each of these strategies is actually the solution to a specific problem. But remember what I said earlier, your job one is finding the deal. So most investors, they are out hunting for a deal, they, they get a lead. A lead is the name and number of somebody that might want to sell real estate. And you know, if this guy uh, had the right training, he would have learned how to help the seller with that lead by doing a strategy called a wraparound mortgage. That's the solution to that guy's problem. But that's not the strategy he learned. He just learned how to do wholesaling and only knows how to do his wholesaling. And he's just looking for a wholesale deal. He didn't find a wholesale deal. He found a wrap deal, doesn't know how to do that. So he does some more marketing. 
and he generates another lead. Now, if he only knew how to do a mortgage assignment, he could help somebody and solve the problem, get paid, but he doesn't know how to do that because all he knows how to do is wholesaling, so he's looking for a wholesale deal. Didn't find a wholesale deal, found a mortgage assignment deal, doesn't know how to do that. So what does he do? He does more marketing, generates yet another lead. Now, if he only knew how to do an auction option, he could solve a big problem and get himself a big check. But again, he doesn't know how to do an auction option because he only knows how to do wholesaling and he's still looking for a wholesale deal. Are you starting to see the problem? Here's the problem. There's 30,000 YouTube videos out there that talk about how to get started investing in real estate. What they pretty much all say is this. You need to get started by learning one strategy and this is the best one. No, this is the best one. No, this is the best one. Well, whatever, you need to pick a strategy and learn that strategy and make money on that strategy. And after you learn how to make money on that strategy, later on you can learn the other strategy. And it sounds pretty good, it feels pretty good, but forgive my language when I say this, that is a completely ass-backwards way to go about this. Saying you need to learn one strategy and master one strategy before you learn the other strategy, that's kind of like saying you need to go to Las Vegas and learn how to bet on one number on the roulette wheel. And after you make enough money betting over and over and over again on that one number on the roulette wheel, well, later on you can learn how the other numbers work. Well, that's ridiculous, and yet that's how 95% of real estate investors get started investing in real estate. And is it no surprise that 95% of real estate investors give up before they ever get going? So I'm going to show you what the top 5% of investors do. And my advice is to play to be in the top 5% or don't bother. So here's what I do, and here's how I'm going to teach you how to do it as well. I bet on all of the numbers on the wheel, and then I spin the wheel a lot. And what do I mean by that? I use all 12 strategies. Because collectively, when you use all 12 strategies, we have a solution for every problem there is. We can help motivated sellers, non-motivated sellers, free and clear, hopelessly underwater. We can help them, we can solve their problem, their need, and we get ourselves paid. And then what do you want to do? Why not learn all 12 strategies, right? I mean, why not learn all 12 ways to fill out a contract? You spend time and money to find a deal. If there's a way to help them and make money, you need to help them and make money. And then what do you want to do next? You want to spin the wheel a lot. And that means look at a lot of deals, which means do a lot of marketing. So again, this is what the top 5% of investors do. Play to be in the top 5% or don't bother. So how do you do that? You gotta know how to do marketing and you gotta know all the strategies. So let me teach you all the strategies. Oh, first let me tell you another fun story. This was my first big deal. After I was a real estate investor for just over two years, I flipped this house in Northwest Austin and I actually made 200 and $91,000 net profit flipping this house. Pretty good profit. But the more interesting part of the story is I was actually the eighth investor to look at this deal. So what does that mean? It means seven other real estate investors looked at this deal and passed on the deal before me. So how is that possible? How could seven different real estate investors pass on a deal uh, that could make them almost $300,000? I've got to replace my battery here. How's that even possible? I'm going to tell you it's not just possible, it's actually Typical. Let me tell you the rest of the story. First investor walks into this house and says, I'd love to buy your house, but you're underwater. You can't even afford to sell me your house. Second investor walks into this house and says, I'd love to buy your house, uh, but you're in bankruptcy. I can't buy a house from somebody in bankruptcy. Third investor walks into this house and says, well, I can help you avoid a foreclosure by doing something called a short sale, but I can't do that while you're in bankruptcy. Plus, you have a mid-construction project. I just don't do mid-construction projects. I walked into this house and I said, my, oh my, oh my, you have a lot of big problems here. Big problem means what? <laughs> big opportunity. Yeah. You know, it took one, two, three different strategies to solve this guy's problem. I solved the problem. 
I got the check. My competition, on the other hand, was a bunch of one-trick ponies. Most of my competitors are a bunch of one-trick ponies. 30,000 books and tapes and seminars out there teach people how to be one-trick ponies. One-trick ponies are annoying. They get in the way at times, but they don't last long. Guys, if you think you're going to find pretty houses at big discounts just waiting for you, hanging off of trees, yeah, you're smoking crack, okay? This is what opportunity looks like. A big bundle of problems with a nice pretty bow around it. I want a house where half the house burned down. I want a house that has mold. I want a house where a meth lab exploded in the garage. I want a house that was flooded. I want a house where someone was murdered in the living room. Oh, man. You can make a killing on a murder house. I own one. South Congress. Yeah. So it's called a stigma. And here's, here, there's all kinds of stigmas. So let me give you an example. How do you make a killing in a murder house? No, no pun intended. What do you think it costs to buy a murdered house? Let me give you a tip, 20 cents on the dollar. And you know what everybody says when they look at that house? They say, that's a murder house. And a couple of years later, they're going by that house. You know, they point at that house. They say, something bad happened in that house. And a couple of years later, they look at that house. They're like, somewhere around here, something bad happened. And about five years later, they look at that house and they say, what? How much? Exactly. <laughs> Stigmas go away. Bought a house right off of South Congress for 80 grand. It's now worth 420. Stigmas go away. Somebody gets shot in a bar. It's a crime scene. A couple years later, it's a tourist attraction. I mean, there's all kinds of stigmas. Like the lake, Lake, lake Travis, goes up and down and up and down. And it's in like five or eight or 10-year cycles, right? When the lake goes down, all the waterfront property is no longer waterfront. All the docks dry up. And after a couple of years, you know, that's not a waterfront anymore. Yeah, maybe it used to be a waterfront, but it's no longer a waterfront, right? And then you buy it low, right? And then the, what happens? It rains, you know, and all of a sudden it's waterfront. And then for the next couple of years, it's waterfront, right? It's worth a fortune, right? And then it stops raining, right? And you get a drought. And, and eventually, right, the, the water goes down again. Now, right when it goes down, well, you know, it's a waterfront. It's just temporary down. But after a while, no, no, it's been down for a long time. It's no longer waterfront, right? The stigma follows the, the water levels. And there's all kinds of examples of stigmas in real estate. And, and it's just examples of problems. And, and problems are opportunities. And that's how you have to think. And big problems are big opportunities. So I'll give you another story. One of my students recently bought one of those $150,000 Teslas uh, paid cash for it. And he calls it his air car. Air car. H-E-I-R, air car. Yeah, somebody died without a will. You know, two out of three people don't have a will, but they did have 42 heirs. And everybody said, no way, man, there's no way that, uh, you know, you're going to get 42 people to agree on something, big problem. Well, he rolled up his sleeves and it took a little effort, but eventually he got 42 people to agree that a little bit of something is a whole lot better than a whole lot of nothing. And now he's driving around a $150,000 air car. Problems are opportunities. Big problems, big opportunities. So we use marketing to find problems, and then we use strategy to solve problems. So let me teach you a couple strategies. The first strategy I'm going to teach you today is wholesaling. It's actually the easiest one to teach, so let's just check it off real quick here. How does this work? It's really very simple. Simply find a property and get it under contract. How much money does it cost to get a property under contract? Nothing? Can you all afford that? I think so. Now, when you have it under contract, you have what's called an equitable interest in the property. The contract itself has value. So you know what you can do with that contract? You can actually take that very contract, that piece of paper, and you can sell it to another investor for a fee. How much is the fee? 
don't know, 500 to 5,000 on a small deal, 10 to 25,000 on an average deal, 25,000 or more a big deal. And this, my friends, is a no money and no risk strategy. I've discovered it's really hard to lose money when you're not actually spending or investing any money. So let me give you an example of a story. When you come to the workshop, I'm going to tell you about 100 stories. I teach theory, and then I give it example, right? So I think it's more impactful to learn from real case studies, real people, real stories. This is Kimberly. She came to the workshop. She actually had to pay because we weren't doing a promo at that moment. But uh, anyway, she told me about this deal. This was her first deal, and she told me about this after it went down. Her mom was visiting her from out of town, so she's in the car with her mom, and her mom's like, Kim, where are we going? Oh, well, mom, uh, we're going to get the house under contract. What? Kim, what are you talking about? You just graduated from college. You don't have any money. You don't have any credit. You, you, you don't have any, you don't even have a job. What do you mean you're getting a house under contract? Don't worry, mom. I know what I'm doing. So Kim's mom watched Kim walk into this house in South Austin and offer the homeowner $265,000 cash for his house. And he signed a contract. Now, obviously, he was a motivated seller. Obviously, they talked on the phone ahead of time. Kim then took that contract and she posted it out to this network. I told you before, multiple times a day, thousands and thousands of times over the last decade, the members of this community post their deals, offers, contracts, resources, back and forth over that network. So Kim just posted this out to the network. And guess what? Several other members of the network wanted to buy that deal, that contract from Kim. So Kim ended up selling the contract to another member of the, of the RIA uh, for $17,000. So Kim just sold her contract to another member of the RIA for $17,000. So now Kim's a believer. Well, actually, Kim was a believer. Now Kim's mom is a believer. So now what would Kim have done with the contract had nobody wanted to buy the contract? What would she have done with the contract? Ripped it up, right? Right, torn it up. No harm, no foul, no penalty, no risk. But she didn't need to, did she? Okay, so who bought the contract? Another member of the RIA by the name of Tatiana. I know Tatiana very well. Tatiana paid Kim $17,000 for the contract. It then became Tatiana's contract. Crossed Kim's name out as a buyer, wrote her name or really her company's name in. And then Tatiana bought the house for $265,000 cash. She had the cash. She kept it for six months as a month-to-month -month rental. After she, uh, the tenants moved out, she did a renovation, a small addition, and then she sold it after owning it for 12 months. And when she sold it, she made nearly $100,000 of net profit that she only had to pay long-term capital gains taxes, no income taxes. You think Tatiana was pretty happy that Kim found that deal for her? What do you think? Yeah, you bet. So let's see what we got here. We'll do a little poll of the audience. By a show of hands, uh, how many of you are cash buyers? Wave your hand around if you're a cash buyer. All right, let me ask you a different question. Um, how much cash do you have to have to make a cash offer? Zero. Well, then how much cash do you have to have to be a cash buyer? Zero. You don't have to have any cash to make a cash offer. You don't have to have any cash to be a cash buyer. You just need to know people with cash. So let me ask you another question. Does anybody here know somebody that you could call if you get a smoking hot deal to buy a property for a big discount for cash? Does anybody know such a person? For example, who? Yeah, what do you think I'm doing up here? Over here, guys, over here. Yeah. What do you think I'm doing here? You know, and in fairness and in fairness, there's hundreds of guys just like me out on that network that would be pleased as punch, right? If you guys got out there and got some properties under contract, you don't want it yourself, pitch it back to the group. That's why we want you. That's why we need you. 
That's why we'll even train you on how to be educated and contributing members of this community. But I can tell I have my work cut out for me because we've got some self-limiting beliefs going on here. So let me try this again. By a show of hands, how many of you are cash buyers? Raise your hand if you're a cash buyer. Oh, fantastic. I love talking to a room full of cash buyers. And the network, the, the network instantly puts people with cash in connection with off-market wholesale real estate. It puts people with real estate in connection with people with cash. So welcome to the wholesale marketplace, right? Everything you need is within a network of people that are doing this stuff. Okay, our next strategy, just one more, is quite a bit more complicated and quite a bit more interesting. It is called buying a property subject to the mortgage. This is buying real estate even with no money and even with no credit. I am a nationally recognized expert at teaching this strategy. I might possibly be the national expert, but I'm certainly a widely recognized expert who's literally taught tens of thousands of people how to do this. I don't know anybody that's successfully taught more people to do this than I have. And so how does this actually work? And if you've ever heard of this, there's a pretty good chance if you heard about it in Texas, you, you heard it from somebody who learned it from me or learned it from somebody who learned it from me. So how does this work? How does real estate work? When somebody buys real estate, what do they do? They go to a title company, they sign a stack of documents. What are the documents? Most of the documents are disclaimers and disclosures, but there's two documents that get signed that actually make the transaction happen. The two documents that make the transaction happen are the deed and the note. The deed and the note. Notice these are two separate instruments, a deed and a note. Whosever name goes on the deed, that's who owns the house. Whosever name goes on the note, that's who's responsible for the mortgage. There's a deed and there's a note. Now, normally it's the same guy on both. The guy buys a house, his name is on the deed, his name is on the note, he owns the house, and he's responsible for the mortgage. That's normal. He moves into the house, it's his house. All the rights, privileges, benefits, and responsibilities of homeownership, they're all his, it's his house. At the end of the month, he gets a statement from the bank, says you owe us $1,000 your mortgage, he writes the bank a check for $1,000. The bank gets a check, they cash the check, bank's happy, he's happy, everybody's happy. That's how it works. And then the guy goes on to get married, and well, you know, Texas is a community property state, so after the guy gets married, the wife is added to the deed. Now there's two names on the deed, his and hers, but his name is still the only name on the note. Just because somebody has taken on or off the deed, that does not in any way, shape, or form affect the note. And then time goes on and things don't work out and they get a divorce. And in their situation, the wife gets the house in the divorce. So now something kind of interesting has happened. Now her name is the only name left on the deed, but his name is still the only name on the note. So the question is, as long as he keeps sending a check to the bank every month, or she starts sending a check to the bank every month, where a tenant or a property manager, a neighbor, investor, friend, or family member, or somebody sends the bank a check every month, the question is, does the bank actually care who wrote the check? No. There's some dude at the bank opening envelopes, like, ooh, we got a check for the right amount. Came on time and it cleared. We're good. So if you're listening to my story, I just told you all a story about a woman, about a spouse, about a person that was able to acquire real estate, even with no money and with no credit. There it is, a method of acquiring real estate with no money and no credit. All right, okay. So here's the really, really good part. You can all do exactly the same thing, and you don't have to get married to do it. Because here's the deal. Any of you 
anybody, anybody, any of you can go up to any homeowner that has any loan, any mortgage from any lender on any house at any time, and you can make them an offer. The offer any of you can make with any homeowner that has any loan, any mortgage from any lender on any house at any time is this. Here's the offer. I will make the payments on your mortgage for you going forward. Or I will find somebody to make the payments on your mortgage for you going forward. What's the catch? The catch is you have to hand the deed, which is ownership of the property to me. It is called buying a property subject to the existing mortgage. You can do this with any homeowner that has any loan, any mortgage from any lender in any house at any time. And the only person on this planet that actually has to agree to this transaction is the person whose name is on the deed, the owner, not the bank. The bank has no legal say in this transaction. It's actually federally regulated. 1982 Garden St. Germain Act. Anybody can deed their property to anybody they want. Anybody can pay somebody else's mortgage if they want to. So if you're listening to me closely, here's what you just heard me say. You can buy any house in Texas from any homeowner in Texas that has any loan from any lender, and you can buy that person's house at any time, and you can even buy that person's house even with no money and even with no credit. Texas's largest real estate investor association at TexasStarterKit.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at TexasStarterKit.com.